and welcome to the Macaw Family Podcast. If you're new here, my name is Stephanie, and I'm actually here today all alone. We're going to call this uh, Me, Myself, and I Macaw Podcast. Um, my sister, we filmed, recorded a whole episode, and after I went back to listen to it, to edit it, it sounded awful. Lots of background noise, lots of echo. I don't know what happened. So we scrapped that, and then my sister's busy, my mom's busy, everybody's busy, and since I work nights, I'm the only one really home during the day, so here I am all alone. So, <laughs> um, why don't we get right into it? Uh, my sources for this episode are The House Party Killer, which was a YouTube video done by Coffee House Crime, an article from Rolling Stone named Tyler Hadley's Killer Party. I also listened to podcasts that had episodes on it to get different perspectives from the different views of the story, all that fun stuff. So why don't we just get right into it? Port St. Lucie, Florida was built for a specific purpose. It was the brainchild of three brothers, Frank Elliott and Robert Mackle. In 1961, the Mackles bought 40,000 acres of swamp in Pine Flatwood Forest. This is about 100 miles north of Miami. The Mackles subdivided the land into 80 by 120 foot, 125 foot land plots. Their goal was to cash in on the massive amount of retired people that go down to Florida in the winter to avoid the cold. Snowbirds, I think is what they are called usually. They placed ads in Life and Newsweek promising, quote, the Florida dream, unquote. The pictures of a blonde young girl holding a gigantic beach ball while she stands under a palm tree and a man with graying temples driving a motorboat with tongue, tongue, <laughs> two young female passengers. The ad said, fun-filled, sun-filled, space-age homes. So I'm not sure what the images were because Port St. Lucie is a swamp at the end of the day. The price was what really brought the retirees in though. Ten bucks down and ten bucks a month. Even in the 1960s, that was cheap. Although you would be paying for the rest of your life, so not really worth it. Well, as I said, the place was literally built for old people who don't want to be in the cold. So everything in Port St. Lucie is geared to the age of the people in retirement. So 60s, not really a place for teenagers. By 1980, the population had grown to 15,000 people. And then in 2006, at the height of the real estate boom, the population surpassed 150,000. So it went from 15 in 1980 to 150,000 in 2006. It was the fastest growing city in the United States. Funny thing I learned about the city was that since it grew so fast, the streets were graded so quickly that nobody spelled check the names. So today you can go and still see Galaxy Street, which is spelled G-A-L-A-X-I-E, Voltaire Terrace, V-O-L-T-A-I-R, Hershey Circle, H-E-R-S-H-Y, which if you like chocolate as much as I do, that's not how you spell Hershey. <laughs> in Twilight Terrace, T-W-Y-L-I-T-E. They picked these names to give it sort of a sophisticated air about the town, even though the spelling is that of, like, a kindergartner. Our story today takes place on a such a street in this retirement town. 371 Northeast Grandeur Avenue in Port St. Lucie, Florida. And yes, Grandeur is spelled wrong, too. G A R A. G-R-A-N-D-U-E-R. So. Oh, and another fun fact about Port St. Lucie, it was named after the patron saint of the blind. So I suppose that's a fitting name for a retirement community. 
Blake and Mary Jo Hadley moved to Port St. Lucie in 1983 to be closer to Blake's parents, who were retired in a city nearby. They moved from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to Port St. Lucie. Blake Hadley was an engineer at the St. Lucie Nuclear Power Plant for 30 years, and Mary Jo was a beloved elementary school teacher, and everyone only had nice things to say about her and Blake. Blake was like six foot something, 300 pounds, so he was always considered, you know, a giant teddy bear, you know, stuff like that. Mary Jo, same idea. No, not a giant teddy bear, but um, a friend of Tyler's, Cameron Adams, who we'll hear about later, and was also a student of Mary Jo's, said, quote, no matter who you were, even if she didn't like you, she would never give up on you, unquote. And one of the people Mary Jo would never give up on is her son, Tyler. And we'll see that time and time again in this story, how Mary Jo did everything she could for Tyler and never gave up on him till the very bitter end. And he thanked her in a rotten, rotted, rotted way. Ryan Hadley was born in 1987 to Mary Jo and Blake. He was their first child and by all accounts was a very happy baby and kid. In 1993, they added their final child to the mix, Tyler. Tyler was born a month early and had to be an incubator for a few weeks due to being premature. He only weighed 3 pounds, 10 ounces at birth. After they got over the hump, everything seemed fine. Mary Jo was very overprotective of Tyler due to its premature birth and all. So around 6, Tyler started showing signs of depression. <sighs> Mary Jo had dealt with depression her whole life, so she was aware of the signs, but to be honest... I go, six? I don't feel like a six-year-old would show signs of depression. I mean, I could be completely off base, but at six, I don't think you have that mind capacity to feel depressed. I mean, maybe if you are in a bad home life, stuff like that. I just, I don't know. I don't know. They did the right thing, though, and they got him into counseling. He was in counseling until the age of 10, and that's when it seemed like that the counseling wasn't really working that well, so he got on an an antidepressant called Lexapro. By the time Tyler was 15, he was not only on a different kind of antidepressant, Prozac, he was also on Adderall as well as a hormone for overactive thyroid. So he was on a lot of medication, to say the least. Along with the meds, though, he was getting counseling like any good parent would do. You don't give them medicine and not get him into counseling. That's just counterproductive, realistically. So I don't want anybody listening to think that he just fell through the cracks at the end of the story and think that, you know, he wasn't getting the help. His parents did literally everything they could to make sure that he would be okay. Uh, he started getting bullied at school and he turned bulimic at a young age because he had such low self-esteem, which is weird. You never really hear of a guy being bulimic and I know it happens, so it's not like weird, but you know, hearing about it. It's, it's sad. This kid clearly had a lot mentally going on. He got started on growth injections because the family thought this would help him in his self-esteem. Everyone who knew Tyler as a kid said he was polite and nice, but quiet. By all accounts, he was close to his parents. When he was younger, he would wait up for his dad to come home from working the night shift at the power plant. They would play basketball into the wee hours of the night. So like midnight. <laughs> On the weekends, neighbors would hear splashing and laughing coming from the pool, the Hadleys in the backyard. They seemed normal, like a normal, happy family, and so did Tyler for the most part. In high school, though, Tyler changed. 
Even though as a kid he was quiet, the older he got, the harder it was to read him. He became eccentric, unpredictable, and seemingly troubled. His classmate, Cameron Adams, the person we heard the quote from before, said, quote, he had bizarre personality, really hyper. He'd always try to pull a crowd. In the middle of the lesson, he'd just start laughing. He would just blurt out stuff, unquote. To me, that just sounds like a kid who doesn't really know their place in the world and is trying to get attention. I mean, being weird and bizarre is not cause for alarm usually. But yelling out in class, I mean, going in, you're in high school, junior high, that happens all the time, especially with guys. I mean, being a girl in class and hearing the guys yelling at each other and stuff like that was just normal. People being class clowns, I guess. So, I mean, for me, it seems normal, but I guess it's bizarre for everybody else. (laughs) The things that started happening were less on the normal side and more destructive as he got older. Dee Dee Maynard is a neighbor of the Hadleys, started refusing to let her son hang out with Tyler because she caught Tyler smoking cigarettes near the North Fork River Preserve. Worried they would start a fire, she actually confronted Mary Jo. Quote, my son doesn't smoke, is what Mary Jo's response was. When Dee Dee told her, like, no, I saw him with my own eyes smoking, Mary Jo just said, quote, well, you know Tyler, unquote. I know some parents do not, under any circumstances, believe that their kid could do anything wrong. That's well, that's not me. If I have an adult come to me and be like, I saw your kid doing something bad, I'd be like, yeah, fucking probably. <laughs> He's a shithead sometimes. He's a boy. What do you, you know? It's going to happen. At 13, 14, kids are going to be smoking. And that's what they did. Although this went a little bit far, though, I think. Um, two weeks later, after D.D. Uh, confronted Mary Jo, Tyler and his friend dragged an abandoned couch to the preserve, doused it with gasoline they got from the local gas station, which I'm pretty sure they stole, and lit it on fire. It was a big enough fire that the fire department had to be called in to put it out. The boys got off with just a warning. But this was the beginning of the end for the Hadleys. And I think if they would have gotten a little more trouble with this, maybe it would have, like, scared them straight. But that's not the case. I feel like Tyler's like, well, ha I got away with this. What else can I get away with situation? At this point, they had lost control of Tyler, and it was only going to go downhill from here. And this is where we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Homegrown Horror. I'm a Mainer. Does anybody do ticks, Bridget Fonda? I have very terrible taste in TV, and apparently I also have terrible taste in movies. These creamy mounds. Yeah, welcome! <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did you sign that paperwork before you saw it? And I'm a dude from away. There's so many smutty nose. This whole place is filled with anacondas! Pokey. Our dear Pokey. I'm not that nice of a person. And so we're gonna tell you about some spooktacular stuff. Specific <laughs> to Maine. And we're back! Um... Just in case you're wondering, that is a commercial uh, for a podcast that I love and is near and dear to my heart, Homegrown Horror. They are from Maine, and they do stuff specific for Maine, so check them out, please. They're wonderful. In late April 2011, Tyler got in a fight at a friend's house and was arrested on a charge of aggravated battery. Tyler was only 17 at the time. Well, only. 17. (laughs) He already had a juvenile record, being previously convicted of burglary. I couldn't find anything on what he burglarized, but it could have been, you know, like, anything. 
Due to this record, though, he was sentenced to a week in St. Lucie County Jail, followed by two weeks of house arrest. Once he got out of jail, his parents took away his phone, leaving him only to communicate with friends over Facebook. Okay, okay. So, here's my situation with this. He gets in a fight, gets an assault charge, then only loses his home. Like, where's the punishment in that, really? He went to frickin' jail, literally, and he loses his cell phone. I mean, being overprotective and letting everything go are two different things, I think, in this case. It's ridiculous. I'm not trying to shame anybody or blame anybody, but I just feel like he didn't really get in trouble for much. But he lost his cell phone. I just, I don't know. So, <laughs> um, like I said, Tyler still had access to his computer so he could talk to his friends. We have a Facebook conversation between his friend Isadora and him, and I'm going to read that. Tyler, don't text me about drugs. Isadora, what happened? Tyler, my mom has it because I got arrested on money and she's flipping shit. I just got out today. Isadora, oh shit. Tyler, fucking shit sucked. Isadora. You bad kid. Tyler. Just kidding. It's a pirate's life for me. Isadora. LMA. LMAO. Isadora. WTF are you talking about? Tyler. I don't fucking associate with non pirates in all quotes. Isadora. What? Tyler. Okay, I'm done with all that nautical nonsense. Isadora. Smiley face. You're so silly. What are you doing? Tyler. Nothing. Considering a suicide. Isadora. Why? Tyler, um, because I want to die, I guess. What other reasons are there? Isadora, are you being serious? Tyler, yes, I do want to die sometime. Isadora, don't die. Smoke a bowl whenever you're down. Tyler, I used to. Now I drink a lot when I'm depressed. It fills the emptiness inside me. Isadora, you're quite a character. Tongue sticking out emoji. Tyler, yes, but all my smiles are fake. So, he's a bit dramatic. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he says this stuff a lot about suicide. And, I mean, you can see where his head's at. And his friend's head where he tells her he wants to die. And that's kind of nothing. It doesn't tell anybody. doesn't do anything. Just tells him to smoke a bowl because I guess that will help. <laughs> Clearly, he's been using, using drugs and all that. And I guess he's suicidal. Maybe. I don't know. He says it for attention, maybe. Because as we see throughout the story, he says it a lot, but never attempted that we know of. One Friday night in June 2011, Tyler came home and his words, quote, smashed as fuck, unquote. That same night, he pissed all over his friend Desiree's bed. Mary Jo admitted him to New Horizons, which was a mental health clinic. Like I said before, the family was doing everything they could to make sure he was okay. Mary Joe jo invoked the Baker Act which under Florida law allows parents to commit their children, if under the age of 18, to involuntary psychiatric treatment. The act is only deemed, only used if deemed as substantial likelihood that without it, inter without intervention, the child will cause seriously bodily harm to himself or others. And once this happened, people asked Mary Jo if she was afraid that he would hurt her. And she said no, she was just afraid that she he was going to hurt himself, so 
She was very, very wrong. Well, by July, Mary Jo was telling her friends that Tyler was over the hurdle and she was so happy about his improvements. Apparently, to her, it seemed to work. She was telling people it was like Tyler was back to his old self. So he had everyone fooled. Big time. The weekend before July 16, 2011, Tyler, his father, Blake, and his grandfather, Maurice, traveled to Georgia to go to a family reunion. Later, Maurice would say that he didn't see any indication there were any problems between Tyler and his parents. On July 15, 2011, Tyler and his parents went out to dinner as a family. His brother had recently moved out to go to college, so the house was just in the house was just Tyler, Mary Jo, and Blake. After dinner, the family stopped at Circle K and Tyler ran into his friend Cameron Adams. Again, the same Cameron Adams we've heard from now twice. Cameron says that Tyler seemed like he was in a good mood. Cameron asked how his parents were doing. Tyler said that they were all right. Cameron had mentioned that his birthday, it was his birthday and his girlfriend and him were going to dinner. With that, Tyler said, happy birthday. Come to my house tomorrow. I'm going to have a party. We'll celebrate. So. Premeditated. Just remember that. Saturday, July 16th, 2011. Tyler had been telling people all week that he was having a party. This is something that his friends didn't believe. He had just been in trouble with his parents for the jail time, and he just got out of a psychiatric facility. There was no way in his friend's eyes that Tyler would be able to have a party. His parents would not allow it. He had never thrown a party before either. He wasn't known to throw parties. He was known to go to parties, but he wasn't known to throw it. He was known, though, to be a heavy drinker, pill popper, you name it, he took it. At 11.25 a.m. on July 16th, Tyler started communicating with his friend Antonio Ramirez. And I'm going to redo that conversation. Tyler, Sapra, Antonio, chillin', what you doing tonight? Tyler, trying to have a party at my crib. Antonio, your parents ain't home? Tyler, nope. Well, they're leaving soon. So, if I had in ominous music, I'd play it, but I don't. <laughs> so, just... That was at 11.30 in the morning, July 16th. Clearly, for a time, Tyler was planning on having a party. How long we will get into that? At 1.15 p.m., Tyler posted on his Facebook wall, party at my crib tonight, dot, 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 maybe. And then at 8.15 p.m., Tyler posted again on Facebook, party at my house, HMU. For your old geezers, hit me up. <laughs> Ashley Hayes, a friend of his, messaged and was like, Whoa, what if your parents come home? Tyler responded with, They won't trust me. Now it's time for the party. Mike Young, a kid from Tyler's school, didn't know Tyler personally, only by sight, showed up around 11.30 p.m. with 10 of his friends. Because when you go to a party, you go with 10 of your friends. <laughs> Mike knocked on the door. Tyler answered. By Mike's account, Tyler was anxious and clearly rolling on ecstasy. Mike said his eyes were large and white, his pupils were huge, and he kept rubbing his hands together and clenching his fists. He told Mike, I don't want no smoking inside, it's my parents' house. It didn't take long to be, for the house to be full of more than 60 kids. Most of them didn't even know who Tyler was. They were lounging on all the furniture, playing Beirut on the dining room table, eating all the, all the food they could find in the house, you know, usual destructive kid shit. They didn't care it wasn't their house, they didn't know the kid who was throwing it, so they did not care what happened. People started gathering in groups outside, so Tyler tried to bring them in by telling them they could smoke inside. 
Mike Young was sitting on the couch chatting to some girl when, in his words, a drunk skater kid came up to him and said, I smell dead people. Mike asked him what he meant. He just said, oh, I don't know. Some people are smoking, that's all, and then walked away laughing. Personally, my opinion, I might have left at that point. <laughs> the kids were using the family computer, which is right next to the Beirut table, to play music. Mike noticed that the computer keyboard was covered with a tacky brownish dried liquid which he took as either beer or soda. But it wasn't. <laughs> people kept asking Tyler where his parents were, and he gave various answers to different people. He said Georgia, Orlando, and to some people he said they don't even live here. This is my house. One of Tyler's best friends, Marky Phillips, was not able to attend the party because he was visiting his parents and grandparents Sorry, in Chicago. Tyler was over his house two nights before the party, playing video games and watching TV. According to Marky, Tyler seemed fine when they were hanging out, although he did blurt out in the middle of a conversation that he wanted to kill his parents and have a big party after, because nobody had done that before. There were huge parties with the bodies still in the house. So, yeah, two days before he was talking about it, and on July 2nd, two weeks before the party, Tyler complained on Facebook to his friend Mercedes about his cell phone. Tyler, LOL, yep, she's a cunt for show. I might kill her. Mercedes, OMG, no jail, or I mean prison, LOL. Tyler, oh well, heart emoji. Yes, so. Now this is two weeks before. She took his phone, and he decided he wanted to kill her. By midnight, there were upwards of 100 people at the party. By 12.30, the party was running low on beer, so Tyler asked Mark Andrews and his girlfriend Ashley to drive him to the store to buy beer. Uh, Mark was 21, hanging out. 17-year-olds at a high school party, but that is not something I want to dig into now. My shovel is too full of the shit with Tyler. <laughs> Tyler gave Mark a wad of 20s and asked him to buy four cases of bush light. Blech. While they were waiting in the car, Tyler told Ashley that his father died. Ashley, not knowing Tyler at all, just thought he died a long time ago. When they got back around 12.45 a.m., there was a kid walking around selling a baggie full of white pills for a dollar apiece. Another kid was selling weed. Anthony Snook showed up because people texted him how this was like the party of the year. When he ran to into Tyler, he said, thanks for throwing the party. How have you been? And Tyler responded with, all right. And Anthony kind of said he was just wandering around with like days look on his face. Anthony saw the most master bedroom door was shut. Thought people were like trying to smoking in it, get high. So he tried to get in because, you know, I want to be where the weed's at. <laughs> It was locked, so he couldn't get in, but he did notice a black smear about a foot long going underneath the door. He assumed it was paint that somebody had tried to clean up. A kid who wanted to remain nameless was a soccer player, a collegiate soccer player, showed up around 1.15 a.m. He said the house smelled of sweaty clothes and the house was trashed. A broken glass everywhere, cigarettes just put out where they were smoking them, so on the carpets, on the walls, on the furniture. This kid asked Tyler if there were any rules in it. And all Tyler told him was, just do whatever you want. This kid decided to play some Beirut. His ball had bounced under the table, but didn't go far because it landed in a sticky brown substance. He assumed it was a spilled drink, rinsed it off a little bit, and kept playing. At this point, I'm so, <laughs> sorry, hit my hand. At this point, I'm going to assume, if you're listening to this, you realize that sticky brown liquid on anything is going to not be soda. It's going to not be a drink. 
So yes, they were playing Beirut with a ball covered in blood. This is the point when I think Tyler, Tyler starts to lose his cool. Mark Andrews started to get ready to leave, and Tyler asked if they could speak privately. He told all the kids who were outside to go inside, and I have the transcript of that conversation, and I'm going to read it to you right now. Tyler, dude, I did some things. I might go to prison. I might go away for life. I don't know, dude. I'm freaking out right now. Mark, what are you talking about? Tyler, dude, I know you're not going to believe me. No one will believe me. I freaking killed someone. Mark, dude, you're killing somebody is your own business. Don't be telling me that sort of thing. I don't need to know. So, Mark was like, no, 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 no. I, I don't need to know that. He, uh, then he ran into a girl named Kimberly, who was sitting in his bedroom. Why, I don't know. And he told her, he's, Tyler says, I'm going away for 60 years. She asked, why? And he said, well, you're going to find out tomorrow. So, like I said, at this point, he's told basically three people that he's done something wrong. And nobody does anything about it. Around one in the morning, Tyler asked his friend, Michael Mandel, to walk outside so they could talk. Tyler and Michael have been friends since they were eight years old. They walked outside, sorry, and then to the end of the block to a stop sign. Tyler turned to Michael and said, I killed my parents. All Michael was, could say was, yeah, right. Tyler then said, quote, Michael, I'm being real. I'm not lying to you. If you look closely enough, you'll see the signs, unquote. When they walked back, Michael just did just that. He noticed that a black Toyota Tacoma and a red Ford Expedition were in the driveway. These cars belonged to Blake and Mary Jo. Michael still didn't believe him, so they walked into the garage. Making sure no one was around, Tyler turned on the garage light. In the garage was a bloody shoe print. Tyler then led Michael to the master bedroom. He unlocked the door and opened it. What Michael saw changed his life. All the dining room chairs and blood-soaked towels were at the top of a huge pile of other stuff from around the house. At the bottom of the blood-soaked pile of debris was a white with little white legs sticking out. This is when Tyler told Michael what happened. And we're not going to go over that yet. Wait till the party is over. So, you see a dead body. Your friend tells you they killed their parents. I would run out of there. Be gone. Adios. See you later. Not Michael. Nah. He stayed for another 45 minutes posing with pictures. Posing for pictures with Tyler. Michael had been questioned about this a lot confronted by it and he said he knew he was going to turn Tyler in but he wanted to spend time with him before he did that because he knew Tyler was going to jail he was never going to see him again they had been friends since they were eight so that's you know it happened to happen but I wouldn't have said that's just my opinion at 2 a.m there was a rumor of another party so everyone left peeling out of the driveway and throwing their cans and cups all over the place. The commotion of cars brought the attention of the neighbor, Rebecca, and when kids started coming across her lawn and looking at her window, she called the cops. Two cops showed up and told Tyler to keep it down for the most part, and then they left. About 20 people were still hanging around at that time. Around 2.30 a.m., people started to come back. 
but they said Tyler was being paranoid. He kept checking the windows and closing the blinds. So people started to filter out and left Tyler all alone with what he had done. At 4.40 a.m., Tyler posted on Facebook again saying, party at my house again, hit me up. It wasn't going to happen, though, because Michael had, he did what he said he was going to do, and he called, well, he didn't say it to anybody, but he called Crime Stoppers and told them everything that Tyler told him. Officers Adrian Zamoski and Charles Green were dispatched to 371 Northeast Grandeur Avenue at 4.32 a.m. So as he's literally posting that, the cops are pulling up across the street and walking up the driveway. As they got up to closer to the house, they could hear someone talking. So Green knelt down and kind of peeked through the blinds. He saw Tyler pacing around the living room talking to himself with a very disturbed look on his face. Green would wait in his report. Quote, his eyes were very wide and he was not blinking, unquote. As they watched him, Tyler grabbed a stack of books off his shelf and walked them to the back bedroom, talking to himself the whole time, and then dumped them on, like, in there. Just throw them in the room. And he did this three times, so he was, like, reburying his parents with just stuff. I think maybe he thought if he just kept covering it, he, it would go away, basically, you know? Uh, finally, the officers knocked on the door. Tyler walked away from the front door, shut off all the lights in the house, and then came back and opened the door. He had one hand behind his back, so the officers ordered him to the ground, checked him for weapons, and then handcuffed him. They asked him if there were any adults there, and he told them no. He told the officers, I know I'm going to Rock Road, so just take me. Rock Road is the address of the jail, just so everyone knows. Once Tyler was in the back of the cruiser, the police entered the house. As they were walking in, Tyler shouted, quote, You can't go in there. Don't go in there. Unquote. They made their way back to the bedroom, forced the door open, and came upon the scene. So, the murders of Mary Jo and Blake Hadley are what they saw. Their bodies underneath piles, a pile of debris. Um, their murders are horrific, but knowing their son did it makes it even worse. The afternoon of July 16th, around 5 p.m., Tyler went and hit his parents' cell phone so they wouldn't call for help. He then psyched himself up by taking three ecstasy pills because, in his words, he didn't think he could do it sober. Okay. If you don't think you can kill somebody sober, then don't do it. Maybe. Don't kill anybody. Or anybody out there, don't do it. He listened to the song, quote, uh, quote, Feel Lucky by Lil Boozy, whoever that is, I have no idea, went to the garage and found a claw hammer. He stood behind his mom, who was at the computer in the dining room. And if you're wondering, yes, the same one the kids were playing music on. So, like I said before, that greenish liquid all over the keyboard, all over the place. Greenish. Ha! Huh, I am just full of it today. The brownish liquid was not soda, was not beer. It was blood. He stood there for five minutes and uh, raised the hammer and brought it down on his mom's head. She turned to him and screamed, why? Why? Hearing his wife scream brought Blake out to the room for the master bedroom where he'd been resting. He locked Tyler, uh, eyes with Tyler and asked, and just said, why? Tyler looked at him and screamed, why the fuck not? And kept screaming that as he attacked his father. When it was over, Tyler wrapped his parents' heads with towels and dragged them to the master bedroom. He put them face down next to each other with a hammer in between them. He said it took him three hours to clean up the blood and gore. Much longer than he thought. 
Well, he did a piss poor job of cleaning it if there was blood everywhere. Then he took everything that had blood on it and threw it on top of his parents. He then took a shower, looked in the mirror, and laughed. According to the medical examiner, both Mary, Joe, and Blake were savagely beaten. Blake had multiple blunt force trauma injuries to his body. His nose was broken at the base. He had multiple contusions to his face. His skull was smashed in several spots, and some of these fractures were visible through the skin. His temporal lobe had temporal lobe had multiple aspirations, and the brain itself was floating in blood. Blake had wounds literally all over his body. Both his legs were broken. Each fibula was shattered. Mary Jo's autopsy was just as bad. Tyler hit her so hard in the back of the head that her spine was fractured. She su- suffered seven broken bones, seven broken ribs, excuse me, which punctured her left lung. Multiple injuries to her brain from the claw end of the hammer. 14 wounds across her back and lacerations of all sizes on her face and neck. She also had wounds on her legs and arms, probably defensive wounds. Tyler has been sentenced to two life sentences. In 2018, he was resentenced to the same punishment. There's a law that requires juveniles who have committed murder to have their case reviewed again to make sure that it can still stand or if they will get less time. So, he got the same time. His sentence still stands, and he will spend his life in prison. After all this went down, some of the classy kids from Tyler's town decided to speak to the press, and I'm going to read some of what they said, because it's just cringe. This is from an 18-year-old girl who attended the party, but didn't really know him. Quote, he was under a lot of pressure, and like, his parents would never let him be himself, and honestly, I think they caused everything that just happened. His parents always expected him to be someone else and that he wasn't someone else that he wasn't and that's not right. Anything Tyler would do, he'd be wrong for it. He just broke. Honestly, he got crazy because of it. If you have that much hate for somebody, then you actually would do something like that. Are you fucking kidding me? Who is this fucking moron? Just the stupidest shit. Who who's interviewing these kids? I'm telling you. He also Tyler told people that. His father had punched him in the face in the past, but that wasn't true. 100% not true. And Tyler also told Marky that Blake wasn't even his real dad. So that was stupid. The most common rationale by his friends was drugs. Marky was quoted in the papers or TV. Quote, we all make mistakes when we on them jiggers. Drank heavily and... Tyler drank heavily and smoked pot, pop pills like a madman. There were a lot of pills, all kinds. Monkeys, beans, zanny bars, french fries, yellow zannies, Percocet, Oxycontin, blues, ecstasy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that. Also, a 16-year-old cheerleader said, I wasn't upset when I heard. I wasn't scared or disgusted. It's not like I knew him personally. I was just in awe. Fucking moron. Anthony Snook found out. He said, quote, Wow, I just went to the party of a lifetime. It's messed up what he did, but 20 years from now, I'll be able to say I was there. I hate Port St. Lucie, but that's kind of cool. Unquote. Mike said, I was like, damn, brother. That's creepy as hell. I can't believe you parted last night where there were dead bodies. They were like, I seen you on the news, bro. I was like, yeah, it was awesome. 
because he got 30 Facebook requests, friend requests. I don't even. I don't even know. Uh, Tyler wrote a letter to his parents, grandparents in jail and talking about medicine. This is what he said in the letter. Quote, I wish I never started taking that damn pill. None of this would have ever happened. I regret everything I did. I swear it's those drugs, man. Unquote. So there's no remorse. He blames pills. He told people his dad beat him, which 100% not true. He blamed his medicine, all that fun stuff. But when it came to sentencing, he got two life sentences. That was never brought into it. His mental state was never a factor. He ended up telling a fellow inmate that he should have come to the party. It was awesome. And this actual inmate testified to this, him saying that, and the fact that Tyler told him he had been planning the murder for weeks before it happened. At St. Lucie Jail, Tyler was a celebrity. He wrote in a letter to a friend, quote, when this shit went down, it went worldwide. I was the second most popular story after the economy. He responds to fan le- letters because he gets those, apparently. People do that. And he signs it as Hambo or Hammer Time. Yeah, I'm going to let that resonate. The kid doesn't fucking care. He did this, has no remorse. He's garbage. Garbage, garbage, trash. The juice in the bottom of a garbage can after the trash is taken out. I just... He's gross. He doesn't care. Has no remorse. And I'm glad he's in jail forever. Because, you know, that was that. I want to thank everybody for listening today. And putting up with the fact that it's me, myself, and I. And it's not the macabre family. It's just the macabre Stephanie. (laughs) Um... This week I will be having a guest, so there's that. Don't forget us to f- don't forget to follow us on all social media. Facebook, uh, there's a group, the Macabre Family Podcast. Instagram, Macabre Family. TikTok, the Macabre Family Podcast. You can email us at macabrefamilypod at gmail dot com. Uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can review us on our Facebook. It helps with the algorithm, gets more people to follow us and like us and all that fun stuff. Get us out there, please, please, please. So thank you all for listening. Stay spooky. Bye.